Welcome to Heavily Pixelated. Video games are fun, but they're more than fun. They do more for us than we usually give them credit for. Heavily Pixelated is a show that attempts to describe all the positive things that games do for us. I'm Scott C. Jones. Today's story begins with two brothers playing a video game in a house in a small town in Canada. It's 1990. My brother fell in love with Loadrunner. That's Sid, the youngest of the two brothers. I had the version on the Apple II where there was 150 levels. And my brother had gotten up to level 143. He was good at it, you know, but he spent a lot of time on it. And he had that on the Apple. I spent more time on the Commodore. So there was even times where we could be in the same, they were both in my bedroom, these computers. And so we could both be in the room at the same time. He'd be playing Loadrunner. I'd be playing around with the Commodore. And then one day, the power went out. At level 143, you couldn't save your game. And my brother has never looked at Loadrunner again. He was devastated to yeah. the point where I don't think he really even plays video games today because of it. It was so devastating to get that far, be so close to the end. It wasn't even all the time that he put into it, it was the fact that he was so close to the end. So he had to overcome all those things to get to so close to the end and then to never find out, does something special happen when you finish level 150? And uh, do you know if it does? You know, I was too afraid to look for him. Maybe there is something special that he missed out on. And maybe I might send him a YouTube link to the last seven levels if I could find it. Yeah, I don't know how he'd feel about that. That Sid is Sid Bolton. He runs the PC Museum in Brantford, Ontario. Sid also owns the largest collection of video games in Canada. Sid is my guest on today's show, which starts now. Hi, my name is Sid Bolton, I'm 41 years old and I'm from Brantford, Ontario, Canada. This is Sid's audition tape for a TV show called King of the Nerds. the king of the nerds because where I come from I'm already king of the nerds and I want to take on for some inexplicable reason I king of the nerds of passed on Sid this guy has a video game and computer museum in his house from a collecting though king of the nerds said no lots of other TV shows said yes looking at over a million dollars including the circuit Cottage cheese. Truly a geek, so I have inner space that represents geekdom. Storage wars. Thousands of them actually. Extreme collectors. EP Daily. And of course, many, many more. Coming up. Video games let you be somebody you're not. They let you do super. If you wanted to make television that appealed to nerds or talk about something geeky, it was a no-brainer. You went to see Sid. Right in the middle of suburbia lives Sid Bolton. I know you with the guy who owns thousands of video games, and I never want to leave this place. Later in the show, I chat with super collector Sid Bolton. Vice recently did a really cool story on Sid. Sid Bolton, who runs a personal computer museum out of his home because he's been collecting vintage computers for over... Where do we start? Okay, well, we've got the history of personal computers starting from about 1976. 
Sid's also been in a couple of documentaries over the last few years, including Nintendo Quest and 2018's Ferris's Room. An old IBM mouse. I'm serious, man. This is ridiculous making me wait around the house for you. Why can't you let me ride? Sid lives in Brantford, Ontario. Brantford is about an hour outside of Toronto. That's where the PC Museum is. It's actually on his property. He lives in a suburban ranch house, but behind the house is an old barn, and inside the barn, that's where the museum is. This is a bit of an understatement, but Sid is very proud of the town that he's from. He's very proud of Brantford. I found one of Sid's website pages that featured the following song. It's a song that's really a reflection of the pride that, that Sid feels towards his own hometown. This song is embarrassingly earnest. It pains me a bit to listen to it. But it's also a, a little sweet too. Looking ahead, looking good, looking up The word is starting to spread Feeling good, let's speak up Proud of our past And what we have to offer Brantford, let's speak up The first time I, I visited Brantford, Sid drove me around like I was considering buying real estate there. He pointed out all the parts of the town that he thought were, were beautiful, things that, that I would find irresistible. Brantford's primarily known for two things. Alexander Graham Bell invented the telephone here and the great one, Wayne Gretzky. He was born here. Brantford gave birth to the telephone line and Gretzky the great 99. It's a small town. I, I kind of grew up in a small town myself. And so, you know, they're not my, my favorite places, but I, I just sort of got carried along with Sid. And, and that's kind of the experience of knowing Sid. You'd get carried along by his energy and enthusiasm for things. I think that's really the secret to the success that he's had in his life. He has this personality that is so large that it just fills a room and it consumes everything and everyone in that room. One of Brantford's claims to fame, as I just mentioned, is that Wayne Gretzky is from Brantford. And so we drove to Walter Gretzky's house, which is uh, where Wayne Gretzky grew up. This is like a holy place for Canadians. We pulled into the driveway and I said, what are you doing, Sid? Why are we, why are we pulling into Walter Gretzky's driveway? And Sid said, Walter knows me. If Walter's home, he'll come out and we'll talk for a while. He said, but I don't think, I don't think Walter's home tonight. And the house looked dark. But we sat there for a few minutes in, in silence on a winter night in uh, Sid's car. After that, we backed out of the driveway and uh, we toured around a little bit more. And then we went to a restaurant which supposedly had amazing food. It had okay food. But as far as Sid was concerned, the food was amazing. It was exceptional. It was world class. And I love that he loved things so passionately. He couldn't help himself from loving things too much. Let's speak up! Some of you know this already, but some of you don't. Sid died on June 11th, a Monday, 2018. Uh, I've been working on the podcast for about eight months. I traveled out to Brantford a couple of times to interview Sid, to see the PC Museum, and to spend time with him. We were talking about working on something together. Uh, building a new TV show, uh, maybe a YouTube show, something celebrating vintage video games and being a collector. And all of a sudden I couldn't reach him. And I called him a couple of times. I texted him a few times. I couldn't reach him. 
And then I find out that there was a notice on Facebook, a GoFundMe page, where people could donate to help Sid and his family because Sid was in the ICU at Toronto General. I went to to visit him because I know what it's like to be in the hospital. I, I felt a great deal of sympathy for him, and I wanted to be—I uh, wanted to offer my support to his wife and his family. And um, his wife wasn't there when I, I went to the hospital. I went to the ICU. I went in. I saw him in there. I could see him through the glass. He was covered with machinery, and I, I, I couldn't get into the room. Obviously, not being a family member. The nurses told me that he would be better in a few days and then I'd be able to visit him then. But then I got a call from his wife a few days later telling me that he he was he was gone. And so editing this podcast has become a way for me to celebrate Sid's life and, and to um, just really, you know, fully understand what he contributed for so many years to the computer and video game industries. And, you know, it was also just a way for me to, to spend some time thinking about him. And it was a way for me to, to kind of let him go, which, you know, I, which I have to do now. Now I have to let him go. So, yeah. My love of video games and vintage tech and all that other kind of stuff is is always there. I've always kept things that were sentimental to me. I still have my report cards from when I was a kid and have all that stuff. The core love for, you know, collecting this stuff and sharing it with other people, that's been with me since as far back as I can remember. Collecting them is more a way of life. It's part of the fabric of who I am, so I never stopped collecting games or acquiring games or talking about games. I was 10 years old when my neighbors, um, they, were, they were great people. They had an accounting business. They had an electric typewriter. I only had a manual one, but I used to love writing stories on it. My neighbors had the electric typewriter, and one day I went over there, and they said, you know, we have a, a new kind of typewriter. I walked in, and it was an Apple II computer. And I remember playing this game where you had a, a base in the center of the screen, and you had a paddle, and you could basically change the direction that you fired in, one of the four directions, and these ships would come at you. But that was probably the first computer game I ever played. There was something about being able to control what was on the TV that was so fascinating to me. Because at that point, you know, television was just a broadcast, you know, whatever came your way, came to your TV, and that was it. And now all of a sudden, I had control of what was on the TV to some degree. When I went back to school, I was still, of course, in grade school. And I remember going back and I, I tended to spend more time with adults than I did other kids. Like at recess, I would walk around with the teacher. I tended to enjoy having mature conversations. So I remember talking to the teacher. I told him about my experience during the summer. I said, you know, I, I got to play with this really cool thing called a computer. He said, that's interesting because we just got a computer and I'm looking for one student per class to be what we would call a computer monitor, someone who would take care of the computer if the teacher wasn't in the room. He asked me if I could come by the library after school that day and learn something about the computer. And that happened to be a Commodore PET. 
And when I tell kids today that, that come through the computer museum that here was one computer for the entire school, yeah. they just look at me with disbelief. They just don't understand how that could be. We had this thing on an AV cart so it could be moved from classroom to classroom. Where I really think computers clicked for me was when I learned how to program them. It was like, hey, I can control this thing. I can make it do whatever I want. When I wasn't at the computer, I found myself thinking about the computer. So I actually took a notebook, a regular just rule, you know, line-ruled notebook. And when I should have been paying attention in class, I was writing code. And I remember writing uh, sort of a trivia game. And I had a little man that did a happy dance when he got the question right. And I remember writing the code for it over and over again after each question. And the teacher had looked at my notebook. He asked me why I was doing the jumping man so many times, because I literally did it after every question. And I said, well, I don't know. That's the only way I know how to do it. And he said, well, why, why don't you use a subroutine? And he explained the concept to me. As soon as he did that, I went back and I rewrote my code. The next thing I knew, I was uh, far past the teacher. I was doing things on the computer, and then he started asking me, instead of, why are you doing it this way, he started asking me, how did you do that? The VIC-20 was the first computer that I actually owned, and I bought with my own money that I had from my paper route. So you um, that did I had. Paper route and you saved, saved up my three hundred and twenty-one dollars. It was three hundred dollars for the educators pack, and at the time, tax was only there was only one tax. It was seven percent, so it was three hundred and twenty-one dollars. You got the cassette drive. You got a bunch of educational programs. Educators pack. And I would never want that. Yeah, I know, but it had a it had a a duffel bag with uh, which I still have, by the way. Um, <laughs> it's a Commodore bag. It's a collectible, um, and there. Was was, there was a binder with like a pencil case inside, yeah. and there was a there was a line notepaper notebook with Commodore on it, and there was a ruler. Like there was all this cool stuff. I'm not a collector. That's obvious, and I'm not sure I will ever really understand why collectors do what they do. And then one day, my father took me over to the states. We went to Buffalo. He was a foreman at Massey's, which was a, an agricultural company. It used to be the largest employer in, in Brantford. If you didn't work there, you knew somebody who did. And he took me to Buffalo, and we looked for a game. There wasn't the licensing arrangements there are today, so I picked Snackman. Snackman was, uh, you know, a complete ripoff of Pac-Man, but it was actually really good. Like, it was a really good version. And I remember we actually smuggled it in to Canada because we, we, we went over there, literally got snack man, got some lunch, filled up the car with gas and came back. And my dad stuck the game in the, the visor, the sun visor, and just said, shut up about the game if you're asked anything. We just went for lunch. And we got to the line at the border and my dad started whistling. And as a child, I didn't understand. Like, I'd never heard my dad whistle before. But later on, I began to realize that whenever he was nervous, he'd whistle. And I don't know what he thought was going to happen smuggling this $20 game in, but he was nervous. Yeah. And so he whistled, and then uh, yeah, we went through. Did you buy anything? Nope. My son and I just went for lunch, got some gas. All right, go ahead. We came home, and I had Snackman. 
My mom was always vocal about how proud she was of me with the computers because you also have to remember at the time, very few people understood computers. When you don't understand something, you tend to fear it. So, so many people feared it and a lot of people started coming to me for advice and help. And as I obtained a Commodore 64, I suddenly had a huge software library. So people were starting to come to me for games. My father never openly spoke about it to me, mm -hmm. uh, but that's just the kind of person he was. However, years after he died, I still had people coming up to me to say, you know, your father was very proud of you. He used to talk, go to work and tell everybody, my son is really good at computers. Unfortunately, he just never said it to me. That's just how some people are. He always showed that he loved me and my brother by buying us things. On another trip, I got a Vic modem, which was the first sub $100 modem that ever existed. He went on a trip. I lost him for a week on the trip, but I got a Vic modem out of it. My parents were supportive of it. They knew from very early on that I planned to make it a career because I made the statement very early on that eventually we'll have computers everywhere and every job will involve a computer. And I said, and I don't know why I made this distinction, but I said, even the trash man will use a computer at some point in time. We use computers to track where they've been in their route and everything else. So they are using computers. And it was, it's just, a, it was a funny statement to make at the time. I never realized how true it would become. So my mom didn't throw out anything if I had saved it. I remember in our basement, we had built these huge storage shelves. And my mom had stored all this stuff in there. And so I did the same thing. Like when I was outgrowing things, like my Star Wars toys. I had Star Wars figures when I was a kid. I played with them. I put them in a box. I put them on a shelf. I just remember going back to them at some point and going, oh yeah, I still have these and getting that nostalgia hit. It's like a drug. You have that little hit, you put them away. I think it's, it's, like, it's more like the drug thing where you get happiness and a, a shot of nostalgia or some sort of satisfaction that nothing else will give you. If you have that disease, if you will, if you want to call it that. Um, because it takes you back to those times and you enjoy those things and you want to relive those things. And you can do that so simply with video games or computers or whatever it is. For me, it's best to spend your energies on the things you can control in life and not the things that you can't. Hey, I've got issues just like everybody does, just like you do, just like everybody around us does. But at the end of the day, for me, my way of dealing with it is to surround myself in the things that I love that keep me happy so that I can deal with all the other things in life that life throws at you that aren't so great. That's my coping mechanism. Everybody has a different one. Mine just happens to maybe be a little forward facing. The end goal for me is to make sure that those things get remembered. And that's why I started a museum and that's why um, I'm working towards bigger and better version of that that will ensure the longevity that will outlive me. And even now, if I was to, if something was to happen to me today, there would still be a legacy left behind in my collection. And I see so many collectors sell off their collections and start over again, and that's not for me, and that's not for my estate. You've never done that. I've sold things, but only doubles. I do know collectors who have cleaned out their collections are like, that's it, yeah. and then six months later, they're, they're back, back in again, because yeah. they can't get rid of the bug.
I spent a lot of time thinking about what I would do with my collection if I wasn't around. And when you get to a certain age, you realize you're not gonna be around forever. But if your idea is strong enough and you see the impact that you have on others, and I see how I can bring joy to people, it's, it's, uh, it's really what keeps me going because that's what it's all about. It's about being able to unlock the joy and happiness that's within each one of us because almost every one of us has some of that from some time in our life, that joy that's there. And I just find that technology is the mechanism for a lot of us to get that. So whether it's through video games or whether it was from computers or whatever, those people gravitate to what I have and then they look at it and that part of them is unlocked and they're right back where they were. They're 10 again, they're 15 again, they're whatever that time was, that's when things were simpler. When things were less complicated, maybe, or a time where we got lost in a video game world or we, we did something that made us feel good about ourselves or that we feel like we were worthy or we felt accomplished. My mom passed away in a house fire. She's been gone for over two and a half years now. It's been hard, you know? It's one thing to have somebody pass for natural reasons or whatever, but when it's something like that, and especially something where there's still questions in your mind um, about how things, you know, how, how did it get started? Uh, you know, did she feel any pain? Uh, you know, so all that kind of stuff. Was, there was no resolution? No. You don't know and the there, reason? No, and there never will be. Sid's mom was always a last-minute, make-it-up-as-you-go kind of person, and nowhere was this more apparent than on Christmas when she would wrap gifts on Christmas Eve between midnight and 4 a.m. She would often leave the price tag on things because in her rush to get things done. So it became a, like, oh, Mom, you left the price on this. And uh, the same thing happened whenever she made me egg salad. Uh, and not the price tag, but uh, the eggshells. There'd always be one eggshell in that egg salad somewhere hiding, and I was always the one in the family that got it. It just, my brother, no, my dad, no. Uh, my mom, no, it was always me. I'm here with my brother, Steve. So the power went out and that was it. Your game was gone. Yes. Your progress was gone. You never really got into video games. And I, I kind of have always wondered if that was partly because of what happened to you. I think I've played since that time, maybe five hours. Wow. Now part of that is because I got married and the person I married was not into video games. I played Mario Kart at one of your game nights, and I played some rock band. I don't even think that counts as a video game, but maybe. And that's it. I thought it might be important to bring some closure to your experience with Loadrunner, and maybe it'll do one of two things. Maybe it will let the healing begin 33 years later, uh, and maybe you'll start playing video games again. So you probably have always wondered how the game actually ended. I'm actually going to show you uh, and, and bring back memories of the game. So this is actually um, level 
uh, one. Uh, of course, we have to go through an ad here, but this will be level. Uh, there's, there's, there's always an ad now, right? Uh, with these things. Um, this is level 149. So now this is in color. Now you you played the gr game on a green monochrome screen. Oh, there is that. There is that noise. Yeah, I remember. Yes. And that that sound of, of digging and letting the uh, you know there's the guy falling into the pit. This is level 150, so this is the the, oh, cool. the final level. Full yeah, character drops down, so this is the final level. Um, See there, you have to time it. Like he, he had to die, drop the gold, and then you had to walk over his yeah. head. So that's the part that I liked, right? That you'd have to time these things correctly, uh, and a lot of times you just didn't know until you did it. Here he's got 147 men, so you must gain a few every time you... Okay, so this is 150. This is so the this last is, this level is of I the game. This is what I wanted to see what would happen. This is, yeah, this is what you've been waiting 30-some-odd years to see. Now, this says level 151, but interestingly enough, we didn't think there was a level 151. Right. But then it stops. Okay. So you just move, uh, and all of a sudden the level stops... <laughs> And now there's level 152, which again, we, we were only told there was 150 levels, but then it doesn't do anything. It just, when you start to move, it ends the level. Now level 153, and, and then finally, look, game over. And the game over is flipping over and over and over. Okay, and that's it? And that, my dear brother, <laughs> is it. It goes back to the title screen. The guy who made the game was was told in his contract to come up with 150 levels, but he, he didn't feel like he could do 150 himself, so he created a level editor, and he literally solicited people in his neighborhood to make the levels for him. So if you've always wondered if you felt like there's some sort of a disconnect in the various levels, some of them are more difficult than others, some of them maybe don't feel like the same person put them together, there's a reason for that, because That's the same right. person did not put them together. I just wanted to show you, bro, what the game ended like and uh, get your thoughts on it. So now you know, and uh, I can assure you that games have gotten better uh, since 1984, <laughs> since you played that game. Um, it's still a great game, though, and it's still a lot of fun to play, and I hope that... Uh, that you know this has helped the healing process and, and maybe you'll try video games again yeah i really hope that the healing can begin now 30 well, you know what i'm glad years took later. the time to, to find that and uh, help me help me get over that I, I, it was a little lackluster i must say but you know now I, now i've seen it so now you know i can move on and now you know sid was 46 when he died Sid's death, like his mother's, was also ambiguous. Sid, from what I understand, took too much medication. He took too many pills. I take a lot of medication myself, and some days it's hard for me to keep track of whether or not I've taken my pills. So I double up sometimes, and, and sometimes I'm sure I even triple up. Those closest to him have told me multiple times that there was a tremendous unhappiness inside him, far more than I, I ever realized an unhappiness that he rarely shared with anyone. But there was one part of the interview he did with his brother I've listened to a bunch of times, and 
each time it just made me laugh and cry and then laugh again. And uh, I want to share it with you. This is Sid checking the levels of the podcast before they get into their conversation. Just doing a test of the sound quality. Uh, Let's see if that came through. Okay, so I'm here with my brother Steve, and we're just going to talk about um, video games and and, uh, experiences with video games. So I have... If you'd like to make a donation to Sid Bolton's legacy, go to pcmuseum.ca and click the donations button. Special thanks to Steve Bolton, Sid's wife, Jen Bolton, Sarah Deakins, and of course, Stephen Nicolick. Music tracks today provided by the Free Music Archive, including Upbeat by John Luke Hefferman, Ong's Hat by Lazy Salon, Seagull by We Is Sure Dedicated, and Starling and Aim Is True by Poddington Bear, and of course, Let's Speak Up by Steve Beach and Len Wild. If you want to listen to some really cool stuff, go to freemusicarchive.org. Also, if you like today's show, go to iTunes and leave a positive review for Heavily Pixelated. It might not sound like much, but it helps a ton. You can follow us on Twitter at HeavilyPixPix. And please share this episode. I need more listeners. Until next time, I'm Scott C. Jones. I'll see you then. Looking up, our star is starting to shine. Feeling good, let's speak up. Our pride is in our work. Our strength is in our people. Brantford, let's speak up. 